You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 9. Relentless Pursuit. My all-too-brief nap was disturbed by a loud, indistinct shouting from what sounded like a crowd in the street, followed by Raven's raised voice yelling at someone about interrupting his riding yet again. Minutes later, I heard knocking at the room doors from the ground floor below me. It was interspersed with silence and seemed timely enough to be rhythmic. I had a choice, stay or leave. If I stayed, they might knock on my door and move on. If I ran, they might catch me on the stairs. I put my ear to the floor and listened. In the room below me, there was a knock. There was no response. Then the sound of unlocking and quiet footsteps paced into the room. They retreated and there was no sound of the door closing. They had all the keys. I looked about feverishly. I could open the window and jump. From this second story I could land without injury, though only with my shield to cushion me. However, the hotel overlooked the snowfield and the army encampment, and there was nothing but a slope below, which meant I would very visibly plummet down to it and have to either rush around to the now-occupied city streets or across a dazzling white firing range straight into the hands of our enemy. I heard footsteps on the landing outside. Jesus, that was quick. In a panic, I thrust everything back into my shoulder bag, yanked my coat on and stood in the center of the room, hearing the sound of entry growing nearer. In a flash, I checked under the bed and found it just roomy enough to conceal me if I kept my feet tucked in. I dropped and rolled sideways, then held myself in check as a knock came to my door. There was a pause and a key turned in the lock. I glanced to my right and saw Annie under the bed with me. I held my finger to my lips, but she pointed to her eye and then to me. Then I realized what she meant. I heard footsteps come into the room and as I eased my eye patch off, my starlit gaze bore through the metal frame of the bed and cloth and springs above. What I saw amidst the shift in charcoal darkness with the faint grey auras of two soldiers inspecting the room before turning to go. One of them stopped the other, and I could see his misty silhouette point to something in the area of the door which would be standing open. My hat was hanging on the back of it. I could not hear what they said, but one signaled toward the wardrobe, and the other approached my hiding place under the bed. I flipped the patch down again, As his face hove sideways into view, he opened his mouth to bellow. She's here! And I exploded out, shouldering the bed up and aside so forcefully that it stood on one end, momentarily blocking the second soldier from view. The first lunged in to swipe at me with his rifle butt, so I pushed into him, feeling the shield once again bust out as an uppercut from me spun him around. I grabbed my hat from the door as the man trapped behind the bed wrenched the window open, producing a flurry of freezing air. I could see this one pull out a short red stick that could have been dynamite, but as I rushed from the room, he launched a flare up into the sky. It burst above the hotel as I emerged into the corridor to encounter several troops who had heard the commotion and now opened fire toward me. I experienced the now horribly familiar impact of bullets, this time to my shoulder and in my right leg, only now one round dashed off the side of my head. The shield took the majority of the impact, but I still felt like I'd been punched and several plates inside my coat had shattered. 
I bolted away from them toward the stairs, flipping my patch again as I ran to see how many were waiting for me as I approached the doorway. I spied the smoky forms of two rushing up from a lower level and timed my push through the door to slam and pin one of them. My knee came up under the chin of the other, sending him tumbling back down the stairs. I flung the door aside and swept the momentarily stunned man over after his companion. There was a gaggle below me, but none above. I hastily mounted the stairs toward the third story and pulled down a heavy china hutch to block the corridor. I was struggling to stay focused. Overuse of my shield and the shock of bullets had knocked me for six already, and my bad shoulder was burning and leaving my left arm moving all wrong. The round to my leg had definitely done me a mischief. Even if it hadn't pierced flesh, the bone felt bruised. As I struggled up the stairs, panting hard and glancing back, something new caught my eye. Amid the dark fog... A shining form was nimbly rushing along the lower level to sprint up the stairwell beneath me. White was here. My heart leapt and I pushed open the doorway to the third floor hall only to hear deep, sustained booming sounds coming from the left. Shortly after, the walls exploded outward as cannonballs ripped apart the masonry of the hotel's southern side. They tore through the corridor in front of me, flinging themselves into the rooms on the right. Everybody in there, get down on the ground! I shouted as I hobbled across the briefly undisturbed landing. Make yourselves as small as you can! A cannonball erupted past my eyeline and I recoiled, glancing over my shoulder to behold the tall figure of White standing in the doorway I had just left. He looked back, took a long, deliberate moment to stretch, and then burst into a sprint. Closing the distance between us horrifyingly fast. I could hear a clamorous uproar, horses, bugles, and gunshots outside, but all I could think about was getting away from this armored creature. One of the cannonballs ahead of me had blown a nearby door off its hinges, so I limped furiously toward that opening, panic coursing through me. He was right behind. In that room, overlooking the main street, I lurched forward and punched a blast of energy in front of me, blowing out the window in a storm of shattered glass. I took a breath and leapt. I had glimpsed the street, now absolutely heaving with new Confederate cavalry, laying siege to Thundercloud, which was attempting to take off. Wyatt hurtled out of the window and found himself diving down into the melee. I clung to the ledge as he sailed over my head, landing far below in a crouch. He looked up sharply to see me haul myself painfully back through the window, but by that point grey-coated men had swarmed around him with cudgels and sabres ready. Three stories below me, White snarled and freed his own sword. Slashing, ducking and throat-punching, he began to clear a path back to the hotel amid the screaming, bloody chaos of the street. I had hoped he would switch priorities to get back to Thundercloud, but as the cannon fire reverberated around the building, he still only had eyes for me. I began to get very afraid, bolting from the ruined suite and back to the corridor, shouldering painfully into one of the southern side rooms and opening the window. I dropped and rolled down the bank, scurrying around to the alley out of sight from where I had landed, very aware of the footprints I was leaving behind. I had seconds to act, and there was a pitched battle in the streets. I spotted carriages breaking out onto the western highway as civilians fled the city, and rushed into a nearby stable, thankful of the mess of already beaten snow outside it covering my tracks. There were three horses inside, 
and one was near enough to a wagon for me to hitch it by hand. Carmen the Palomino, whose name, according to her bridle, was Blossom, and unbolting the front gates. I mounted the carriage and threw an old blanket over my head and shoulders, stowing my hat under this stinky igloo. Right now, my hair was a dead giveaway, and I was going to have to either cut it off or dye it black. I proceeded out slowly, following the dirt track away from the city and toward the exodus on the western road, joining a throng of panicking refugees. We proceeded along the road. Behind me, Thundercloud rose up to follow the wagon train I was in. The nearby forest was looming. From behind us, the cannons still sounded over the clatter of guns. But I could hear galloping. Out of the corner of my eye, I spotted what must be White's ground team drawing up to intercept. Within minutes, they would be inspecting each cart. I g'd up Blossom and broke from the throng, racing for the bend in the road that curved toward the tree line. Under there, I could avoid the eye of the Zeppelin now floating over my head. Somebody emerged from the airship and rappelled down one of the docking ropes. I caught the swipe of a silver-black ponytail and two watchful eyes looking straight at me. Barreling out from beneath my blanket, I hit the snow, left my ride behind and rushed at all speed toward the wood. The lithe, dazzling form of Agent Lee caught me from behind and I turned to find myself dodging and weaving around whip-quick strikes. I had stood and talked with this woman in the past and found myself wary. Now she was here, and attempting to take me down, I barely had time to breathe. She was so fast and evasive, reminding me of Rao. She had a knack of hitting in successions quicker than I could count. Sometimes a blow to one part of my body would be almost simultaneous with another elsewhere, so I would block one but get hit by the other, and while my shield was taking the brunt, I was weakening. I tried to brute force her back as the stalled procession watched us in awe. I had to end this now. White would almost certainly be arriving soon, and there was no way I could survive both of them. Survive. That made me fight harder. She wasn't trying to kill me, yet at least. Her eyes were set, determined, but she wasn't looking at my face. Instead, my whole body was being taken in, so every move I made was caught, redirected, or dodged. And she was kicky, too. Kept yanking my feet out from under me with unbalancing pulls. Too late, I realized her plan was to allow me to exhaust myself. So I stopped punching, backed up, let my shoulder bag drop, and studied her in turn. There was a pause in the clash as we circled one another. She made darting little feints, but I did not bite. In any other setting, this would have been one of the most challenging contests of my life, and one of the most fun. But there was too much at stake here. I could not let her succeed. Why do you do this for him? I panted. I am an extension of his whip, she replied, sweeping in with another flurry of blows, this time irate. You are mistaken if you believe you can survive this alone. I couldn't get angry in return. I was beginning to know her too well. You're amazing. I ducked and wove around her, mirroring those movements. What about your will? Unimportant. Yes, important. This may have gotten to her. That certainty wavered. I have nothing left, she replied as sternly as she could. I believe in him. You believe in this? And my eyeline drew her attention back to behind her in the muffled cacophony of war. From out of the carnage, White broke forth in the distance, mounted on a stallion. 
he charged across the plain, gripping a long rifle with bayonet flashing like a spear. In moments, he would be upon us. She also spotted something else. Above her, James had begun awkwardly rappelling down to us, clutching his medical bag between his knees as he went hand over hand. Go back! Agent Lee shouted, keeping her eyes on me. Stop fighting. I have something to suggest. James retorted. And for a fraction of a second, she glanced up at him to see what he might be carrying. That was my moment. Like a rattlesnake, I went in hard toward her head. She gasped and redirected, but my knee came up and blasted outward, smashing into the side of her thigh with a ripple of shock. She endured far more impact than was expected. I heard a bone snap, and Agent Lee was flung over, spiraling through the air, her face a mask of pain and alarm. I gasped myself as I realized how badly I must have injured her. James! I cried out. He hit the ground and pulled from the front pocket of his bag a tiny, palm-sized Derringer pistol. Wait! I shouted, but he aimed it away from me and toward the forest, firing off a shot and causing a wind door to tear open. I saw brightness and smelled summer behind the door as James dove in, shouting as he went. Come on! I looked at Lee on the ground, defeated, downed, trying her best to rearrange herself with dignity as she looked back at me. I shook my head, snatched up my bag, and jumped through after James, closing the door behind me as I went. You have been listening to episode 9 of Uncivil Outlaw, Relentless Pursuit. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray and Agent Lee Ying Long, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. Truffaut, performed by Orion Richardson. Run, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Mountain Emperor, send for the horses. And The Descent, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. I have donated to two charity funds connected with Black Lives Matter. There is Black Minds Matter, based in the UK, which is an organisation that connects black clients with black therapists, including providing financial support. These are two groups who respectively have a much tougher time being able to find mental health support and being able to attain the qualifications to practice due to the currently unfair system. And there is the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network's Autistic People of Colour Fund. This US-based charity provides direct support, mutual aid and reparations. I have specifically focused on some of the most vulnerable and often most ignored members of society here. 
Sharon has also donated to the Black Journalists Therapy Relief Fund, which is financing mental health support for black journalists covering the BLM demonstrations. Throughout at least July and August 2020 and what remains of June, every single penny I make from sales of the New Century Multiverse audiobooks on Bandcamp will be donated by me to those above-mentioned charities. So if you've been holding back on buying these, any that you pick up this summer will have the proceeds going to some very good causes. And all the links to these can be found pinned to the top of both of my Twitter accounts. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Hui, David Sheely, Kevin Bay, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chisholm.